Welcome to The Emergent Human. We're explorer optimizing health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Shout out to the Parent Center for Human Potential, which just launched our Limitless Body, a 16-week course on weight loss program for those who've tried everything and are ready to finally achieve and sustain their desired results. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area, who has integrated various somatic practices into his work, including rolfing. To learn more about Cosper, visit his website at cosperscafidi.com. Today's guests are Dr. Stuart Tavatsky and Victoria Rose. Today is a trilogue on resacralizing conception, pregnancy, birth, and family life. First, Dr. Stuart Tavatsky is an author of many books, including Advanced Spiritual Intimacy, The Yoga of Deep Tantric Sensuality, and he can also mention some of the other really cool books that he's written over the years. And Victoria is a pre and perinatal psychology and health educator, birth visionary, traditional birth witness, registered massage therapist, Reiki master for facility, for fertility, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, ceremonialist, contemporary vegalista, and ayahuasca preparation integration guide. Hey guys, good to see you all. Hey, good Mike. to see you, Michael. Well, I'm very excited for this conversation because I, I know I've, Stuart is a mentor friend of mine and I've been studying with him since, God, what, 96, a long, long time. And obviously I love your work. Otherwise you wouldn't be a mentor and a long-term friend of mine. And Victoria is a relatively new friend of mine and I've and watching her from a distance and having some really nice conversations with her. I, I love what she is working on and bringing to the world. So I just thought it'd be an amazing opportunity for the listening and viewing audience to listen to what, how we can resacralize pretty much actually preconception all the way to you know, like family, all the way through family life. And I know that's something that's of really big importance to both of you guys. So I don't know who wants to go first to start the conversation off, ladies first, or Stuart, you sure. want to go first? Sorry, I'd love to hear Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Oh, well. Thank you, Michael. I said this before we hopped on, but really brilliant to have the idea to put this together. I'm really thrilled to be here with you both, and I really mean it when I say thank you. Thank you, Michael. I think anyone who knows you, Michael, that I have spoken with agrees that you are a genius weaver of amazing souls. I'm so grateful that you wove this thread between Stuart and I really thank you thank you and Stuart it's been so incredibly heart opening to meet you this year and to discover a human being that is speaking so poetically and articulately a lot of the wisdom around creation the wisdom around birth and conception and family creation the wisdom of fertility, as I have been really understanding it in my own internal world and through contemplating and living through many different experiences. And you've really, you've really, um, Stuart, held up an incredibly important mirror for me on my path that will, I have no doubt, live beyond this lifetime so thank you well it's an honor and it's likewise it's a um, very gratifying my work has uh, assembled lots of scattered pieces of yoga tantra the science of uh, endocrinology which is our own bodily maturation of fertility and emotions the history of sexuality in the West, where we were told that in the 60s, we were finally having the final liberation of sexuality after centuries of repression. And my research, even in the early, actually before 1970, around 1969, you know, goes right back to the beginning of those times, that it was not going to deliver what it had hoped. And even the translations from the Sanskrit or Tantra were missing this key ingredient of the power of fertility. Uh, and then it gets into politics of uh, 
the politics of reproductive rights and liberal and conservative perspectives, I found that I had to weave all these things together where they were very powerful forces, social forces of keeping them apart. It's hard to be pro-life and pro-choice at the same time. But it's when, what I hope to do and what was so magical about meeting you, Victoria, is I could speak about the uh, holism that once you get all the pieces assembled, you go, wow, uh, the, the, the reality is set up to work. Family is set up to work. Freud was a bit wrong in pathologizing everything about family life for a hundred years. And birth control was a very limited and problematic approach to liberating us uh, sexually. And, uh, and, and, and in its place, yeah, is the ancient either tantric or pagan fertility in fact, you start seeing that it's everywhere in China, Japan, uh, Islamic cultures, Judaic cultures. You see that the, 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 the spell, I think of it as Freud, was so great, we couldn't see that there is a maturation of the human body of men and women being together. And I'll just say it out loud, for an eroticism that when it's experienced, it's like uh, what we know of Kundalini. No one debates that Kundalini is an overwhelming reality when it happens. In the seventies, people didn't even know the word, but now we know that there's a potential in every human body for an overwhelming bliss that you can't find another word, but everyone likes the word Kundalini. So we know that, but the broader eros, which allows fertility to blossom, doesn't have to be contraceptive. There's a natural um, maturation of these hormones towards what I have, what I call yeah, entheogenic levels in the human body that people, when they taste this sharing and co-created bliss, then fertility is let, let to be and flourish in the human body and nourish gestation. And these are the areas that Victoria, you're so way deeply dedicated to uh, intuitively, or maybe I, I wonder in your generation is more aware than the older generations that were trapped in the Freudian views that you can see the holism of sustainable planet, of sustainable lifelong marriage, of natural gestation and communication with the embryo fetus all the way through, you know, it's a holism that then makes marriage be with children, surely be this profound day-to-day -day, uh, uh, life. And I have to say, lots of people live this very naturally as it is. You know, family life doesn't for probably a third of the world, if not more than half, I haven't seen the numbers, but many people, it's common sense that, 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 that pregnancy and, and, and conception is a miracle and children are miracles, you know, and marriage is like a, one of the great joys of life and, and people want, you know, want to marry relatively early and, and they look forward to a whole life going well. A lot of people live this way, but because so many don't, it does sound like a big breakthrough to talk like this. So that's my brief introduction. So I'd be curious for, for Victoria. So Stuart, you know, I, you're a managing family therapist. You're a scholar of Kundalini Yoga. You have a degree in religious studies. So you're well-versed in, in you know, those schools of thought. Victoria, just for a listening and viewing audience, and of course, Victoria, I'm gonna have you back for a one-on-one -on -one interview too. But, you know, just, you know, we know a little bit of Stuart's background. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you on this path and your deep interest in this topic. Ah, thank you so much for asking me that question. I'm always just as curious as what will come through when I'm asked that. And the reason is because it's been so deeply experiential. Hmm. I remember being a very small child, eight, nine years old, sitting on my bed connecting to 
my brother who was growing in my mother's womb at the time and communicating with him. There was a lot of turbulence in the home and I knew that I could connect with him and inform him that these adults were really confused and had their own things going on and none of it had anything to do with him. But that wasn't for him to take into his body. And, and so actually my communication with the consciousness, my attunement with the consciousness that is now incarnating on planet Earth, that's very obvious to see as we look around. And especially if we take the time to connect with pregnant mothers and babies and children, even I feel like an old woman stuck in her ways when I'm, when, when I'm in the presence of these newborns or even the souls that are still ideas or not even thought of yet. That's how this consciousness actually makes me feel. As I grew and I, you know, began to experience life, I discovered, and particularly when I began working in a multidisciplinary clinical setting as a therapist, pregnant mothers naturally gravitated towards me. And I clued in right away that this communication between their babies that were in their bellies was crystal clear. It was more clear than if I had an adult sitting in the chair next to me speaking English. And the things that they were saying and wanting their parents to know were not complicated. They were very simple, very much common sense, like Stuart said, and so on. Uh, very practical, oftentimes, advice for their parents. Um, and so that's one aspect. Um, I have my own prenatal and birth memories. And so my adult life has largely been remembering that I indeed never forgot. And I would actually say that none of us actually forgot. And I do want to point out that, at least in my opinion, pre and perinatal psychology doesn't really fit in the same category as popular psychology. Popular psychology is widely responsible for our mass forgetting in a lot of ways. And pre and perinatal psychology is really an incredible field of study that is supporting our remembering. And prenatal memory is an entire emerging field inside of prenatal and perinatal psychology. So I want to point that out. When I began studying pre and perinatal psychology, it was affirming for me a lot of the memories that I had held. Um, I've also had incredible teachers and elders and mentors come onto my path through extensive doula and preconception training with one of my dear elders, Barbara Esman, the founder and director of the Sacred Birthing School on Kauai, Hawaii. She's easily found online. I was conceived as a twin and, and actually many many humans were some of the amazing pioneers in prenatal and perinatal psychology uh, their decades of clinical experience show that a very high percentage of us were conceived as multiple hmm. or a twin in my experience in how my body remembers these early events this was a soulmate. Okay, so there's many different twin dynamics. My experience was that of losing a soulmate. Hmm. It was a, um, it was really a tragic experience for me. And I actually think that that occurrence took place even before implantation. So this testifies the consciousness of the soul, even before some of these very early embryological processes. So life unfolds and really begins to happen. And I arrive on Kauai to respond to my natural in curiosity to show up and love women and parents as they bring children into the world and nowhere on any of my 
registration documents and my application process, did I write anywhere for Barbara to see that I had twin dynamics in my prenatal history? And within 10 minutes of being in her living room, meeting her face to face for the first time, she ever so confidently said, ah, you're a twin. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I realized I am here for, yeah, it was the beginning of a very deep um, part of my incarnation process because at last I had someone who could really mirror these parts of my earliest life experience. Um, I have spent extensive periods of time over uh, the last quite a few years, nearly a decade, that I've been immersed in ancient Amazonian healing tradition. And since 2016, going uh, quite regularly, spending extensive periods of time in the Amazon jungle. And so the plants themselves have also been um, incredible teachers. And we tend to only hear about, um, I'll bring this up because you mentioned it in my bio, Michael, about ayahuasca preparation and integration. Um, we tend to, in, in our Western world, only hear about this one plant, ayahuasca, when it's pertaining to these Amazonian traditions. But ayahuasca is only one part of a very deep ancient way, actually, of life. Um, it's just the only part that we hear of. Through witnessing thousands of people over the years go through these deeply moving, often transformational healing experiences, I began to pick up on something, which was, ah, we are all re-experiencing our births each and every day of our lives. And particularly during times of change, of transitioning from one reality into another, of rites of passage, we could call them, but particularly when we sit with a medicine like ayahuasca. And these memories are often not spoken they're actually coming up in the space in all kinds of different ways. Actually, I would say that the way in which one relates to what do we want to call it, the path or ceremony or this lifelong process of incarnating is largely um, indicative of our earliest life experiences. Um, the, a lot of these memories come from a pre-verbal time. Yeah. And so we often associate with, we often associate memory as, oh, if I can't, if I can explain it, or if I can recall in my mind, but we know more now, we know that memory is uh, actually not remembering per se. These are stories that our bodies are holding. And if we look at the way we're responding in all of our relations, in all of our lives, we can tell so much about this early period. The other thing I would really, so, so the, the, the preparation and the integration work inevitably led me to open up a space where people could really become aware of their birth and pre-birth conception and preconception experiences. And I knew that in order, and I'm discovering more and more, in order to actually integrate, to ground the energy, the wisdom, the insight of, if we want to call it uh, Kundalini, we, I think it's, it's an appropriate term, especially when relating to a medicine like ayahuasca, who is often referred to as the mother, um, in order for all of that energy and wisdom to organize correctly inside of our systems, we must come back into right relationship with the mother. 
And lastly, what I would just bring into the space on my part is, I think, I think there's great value in the experiences that I've had and my educational background. Um, but I also really want to pick on, up on something that is so resonant for me in Stuart's work, which is this notion and this essence and this part of our basic nature that is awe. <clears throat> this sense of awe. I have had experiences up close with a very good friend of mine who I lived with being murdered in our home, which I mean, I could unpack that for a week, <laughs> which I won't go into here. But as you can imagine, this life experience being in the same home, I wasn't in the home when the incident took place. Um, but it really recapitulated this in utero experience. Um, my, my response to some of the life experiences that I've had that fit in that very, you know, capital T kind of trauma category has not been necessarily anger towards a situation, although this is a natural, um, part of the experience that has come up my, it has actually been fuel for me on my journey to understand this this man who was her partner who no one in the city or surroundings or you know it was a trained um attorney actually no one could have ever possibly imagined this individual doing something like that and especially to this incredible female leader in our community my response to that was really to understand what happened to this man that was repressed, that wasn't expressed, that wasn't allowed to, what parts of him weren't allowed to exist. So it really brought me in to, you know, and I think it was Dr. Thomas Verney actually wrote an article, please, I'm quoting the wrong author, but I'm sure that it was him that actually wrote a book, Build Babies, Not Jails. <laughs> yeah. And so I understand this is a long intro, but, I, you know, it's really been this experiential journey of understanding goodness is our basic nature. And as parents, as humans that are choosing to open the gates for a formless to enter form, we are, we are, we have this incredible opportunity. We are architects. We have this extraordinary opportunity to set humans up from the very beginning as beings who are connected, coherent, well communicative, um, intimate um confident all of these things uh beings and so yes <laughs> there's so much more i could say <laughs> what comes to mind listen to both of you talk about your past and your vision is um, um matthew fox his book original blessing mm. you know, as opposed to pathologizing or, or in a religious sense we're born into sin what I hear both of you talking about is like, no, it's actually an original blessing. And unfortunately, you know, knowing your work, Stuart, it's like there, there is a hundred years of psychology, which distorts that message, which generally is a continuation of the Catholic teaching on sin, just secularized. Um, so, you know, if you guys wouldn't mind continuing that conversation with each other, I'd love that. But also too, one thing that comes to mind is Stuart, I know you've talked about in the original yoga, yogic system, um, the movement practices were spontaneous. They weren't prescribed like they are here in the West, starting, I guess, gymnasium in Germany and then here in the States. It was just the, the natural movement you see in, in babies. And I would imagine the same movement that's in utero. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing to, to think like, you know, you guys come from different paths, but it's the same overall arching view of life. And I love that. So talk amongst yourself. <laughs> educate us on this stuff. Stuart? Well, what I, what, 
trying to say is um, you can start at any point in the life cycle. And for example, we can start at the beginning of conception, which um, Victoria has been talking about, is we can prepare much more consciously uh, at the, at, at before even the, before the couple is making love and making the conceptions the mood of welcoming the uh, conception into existence, the uh, setting up of feelings of communication. Obstetricians really don't talk like that with uh, their uh, uh, patients. And even, uh, I don't think uh, churches, particularly Catholic or otherwise, um, talk in their premarital or their early marriage counseling about how to uh, commune with the soul of the unborn child. And I believe that was Thomas Verney's uh, title, The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. Goes, uh, Thomas Verney's book, I think, goes back to the, oh, the 1970s. Um, and so that's if we enter in at the very beginning. But what another point of entering in is uh, puberty. Uh, because Freud mapped out human development in such a way that it ends at the teenage level. No one questioned Freud's theory of psychoanalysis that ends with what he called genital primacy. Genital personality is the name of the most matured physicality of the human being, according to Freud. So it, it, it just as a, a bit of a challenge, Kundalini says there are many stages after the puberty of the body and that the spine undergoes a puberty. It, it, I, I, this takes so much, uh, it, it jars the, the foundational theory of all Western developmental psychology, but we start to get new scientific findings and they're, they're scattered. You know, no one's looking to prove that these this puberty exists. Uh, so, so I'll just um, bring out an early finding, which, and it's a funny word, uh, uh, salivary immunoglobulin A. And that's another problem is, you know, if we're looking to verify spiritual or yogic um, descriptions of maturation, like Kundalini, by looking into Western scientific vocabulary, we'll get into many problems like uh, what I'm now gonna highlight is SIDA for more than 30 years has been correlated with experiences of compassion. And HeartMath Institute, which is now somewhat famous, back in the day it was, uh, you know, it was fringe. That's another problem is you know, if you're building a new paradigm, the early signs or, or research tends to be done by what originally were fringe organizations. And over time, they're no longer fringe if they survive. So uh, salivary immunoglobulin A was found to correlate with moods of compassion. And then, oh, 20 plus years later, Research on mindfulness in the last decades confirmed that salivary immunoglobulin A, which, which has a, like I say, obvious, a, a funny sounding name, correlates with diminishing moods of aggression. It correlates with um, empathy and meditative state called mindfulness. Now, this is just the beginning, <laughs> but it's a big step. It's a big step to say that the hormones of the body are being tested, not just that the brain waves, which was the first 30 or 40 years of meditation research. They weren't looking at hormone uh, level changes, even though we think of adrenaline and testosterone and different hormones as relating to human um, emotional experiences, even lacrimose crying and feeling it either sorrow or uh, tears of joy for that matter. These are hormones that are secreted by the body. And what um, 
what I'm really sharing is when you get enough of this new research in place, there's a, the, it's a, such a huge breakthrough in what constitutes human development that you have to say another puberty is happening. Another change as radically transformative as when you were 12 and 13. And if you're a girl, you may have had uh, ovulation. And you could create life. When you're 10, you can't. And when you have this puberty, that's pretty radical empowerment of the human body. And the life that you can create in 20, 15, 20 years later of it creating a life, it can create a life. Now, this is common sense, but it's just putting it into words that every fertile, every uh, uh, becoming of age, of entering puberty, carries with it an infinite regress of ancestors who've also were born before us. And in a way, tracing back to a source of fertility, which used to be called God and Goddess. God and Goddess was in the beginning, God <coughs> created things. So fertility is a very big part of spirituality, of embodied spirituality. But what I'm, I think I'll land with this comment is that salivary immunoglobulin A is not the only hormone that uh, the body can create that relates to meditative states. In, in the Sanskrit, this would be salivary would be called madhu. They wouldn't call it saliva, which is also a little off-putting. Madhu, on the other hand, translates as honey. And it could mean love or the sweetness of love or the secretion of sweet tasting um, salivation. Now this starts to lean into whole other octave of kissing. It's so, uh, I feel like, um, it, I wish I could be here in the year 2050, because what I hope to believe is that what I'm now talking about will be common knowledge. I think of the 60s when uh, people were going to jail for psilocybin or, or pot, and now the president of the United States is just the other week has commuted the sentences of everybody in jail for pot. That, that's unthinkable in the 60s. But now it's the president took the lead. So I can try to predict that the next thing I will say is gonna sound like crazy, like it's crazy as a hippie saying, oh yeah, you're smoking pot. Someday the president is going to make it be legal and let everybody out of jail got caught smoking pot. All the hippies would be rolling on the floor they would find this in completely insane. But history is funny like this, that that which was uh, odd 50 years ago, now 50 years later, it's, it, if it's a good thing, it starts to become uh, uh, legalized. Now, what I'm next gonna be saying is that when lovers have highly enriched salivary immunoglobulin A, known as MADU, the kissing that they share is as powerful as an entheogen. Kisses sweeter than wine is poetic, but kisses laced with the chemistries of LSD that the brain can secrete when it matures, because enlightenment is not just a state of consciousness. Enlightenment is a state of embodiment. It's a state of hormonal chemistry. And these chemistries are not just like, oh, we, a couple shares good energy. You can't conceive with good energy. It's not physical enough. And But just as a one step towards this uh, sacred, uh, sacred um, conception is a type of lovemaking where missing which is one of many, I counted 86 modes of arrows, most of which are X-rated, by the way, in my uh, estimation. 
kissing is nothing we can talk about. But there's a way of kissing with worship. We use the word awe. Victoria brought up awe. You can kiss with love, with sensuality. But if you kiss with awe, your chemistry is different. You're in awe of your partner. Why might you be in awe? If you felt that they were the current incarnations of endless previous lineage incarnations of a mystery of life that trace back to the god and goddess of some origin, and now you're kissing God, so to speak, you might be called uh, uh, that I'm feeling awe and reverence. And my chemistry in my body would reflect that state of awe. We have adrenaline for fear, but we don't <coughs> map out yet an adrenaline composite with other hormones to be that of awe. And we are nowhere near what happens when two people are reciprocally, mutually experiencing each other and kissing each other as they really are, as connected to an infinite regress to the source of, of great, 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 great ancestors. And then there's this current girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife that traces back and you're in awe of what is really happening is you're connected infinitely back in time and potentially through con any future conceptions forward because every child it, it's, that attains fertility will, can conceive another child that can, can carry that fertility, carrying that fertility generation upon generation into the future. This is common logic of fertility, but we, it becomes a, a vivid, and it consolidates in the madu of the salivation as an entheogenic salivation. And like with entheogens like LSD or, or psilocybin, you take it and you don't need a book to explain much. You, you, everything you look at is like divine. The, the trees, the, uh, uh, think of Whitman, uh, uh, leaves of grass are like the beard of God is how he put it. And so, yeah, this is uh, what I say points to a puberty of the hypothalamus and other parts of the endocrine system that start to profusely secrete very heightened psychotropic or um, potencies of what we now call fertility or emotion hormones that come into the mouth or they flow in the bloodstream. That's what end, uh, endocrine means. They're en internally secreted. But the partner's lovemaking has no risk of conception within this broad realm. It frees up the intercourse activity um, for a fuller maturation. So there's never a point of no return for the male where there's gonna be an ejaculation. We, we got a little tiny introduction to this called uh, seminal retention. Uh, David Dita, who's a, I think you could call him a mini bestseller in the uh, pop area. Uh, he, he points out the mechanics of this retention, but not what happens in the prostate where it develops its, um, homologous qualities to the womb, because in the womb, the prostate and the womb are the same before a gender differentiation. This is science, but the implications are not thought out in the realm of Tantra for male or female, that the womb is likely, likewise is a female prostate. It, 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 in a sense, it's labor contractions are, are like what a, a male prostate does before ejaculation. It spasms to create life. We call it labor contractions. But in this type of matured prostate, the uh, energy is of fertility becomes, is heated up as an alchemy. It's called bindu to ojas or light, seed energy to light. 
and light goes through many more transitions until it turns gold. Oros is the AU symbol for gold in uh, chemistry, but it's a Sanskrit word for the golden color of the aura. So the semen or the ovum, they are heated up through a type of lovemaking that does not risk pregnancy. So it frees up the mind and body from <coughs> fear of an unwanted conception. And that is critical for real tantra to occur. For real sacred erotic, it's not just sensations. It's activating the source of life. And that activation, you feel like God and goddess, not just like beloved. And the only thing in this model that can make us feel like God and goddess is the power of life, of fertility. And that it is shared in all kinds of ways. The kissing is just one. And I'll just say one more thing is mitosis. Mitosis is cellular division. We have 4.8 million cellular divisions per second in the human body. That's like sex happening 4.8 million times per second, every second, an orgasm of cellular reproduction. Uh, Not very little yoga is, uh, or meditation helps people get in touch with mitosis. Maybe breathing, watch yourself breathe in and out or the flow of energy, but there's some barrier to opening the, a door to both kinds of fertility. The fertility of our body reproducing itself, no interest in that, that I have found. And I was the president of the National Association for so-called transpersonal psych for 16, I think 16 years. There was zero interest among my colleagues. In India, there's big interest. The Dalai Lama was able to, wanted to sponsor, and he did, my conference on world family. But um, getting to the fertility aspect of spiritual awakening, I, 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 that's why I'm, I love Victoria, because she's alive to the power of being in touch with, with human fertility. So you can feel it in every cell, and there's ways of feeling awe with each other in ways that like kissing that do not risk pregnancy. And a side effect, if I can just say that, is every pregnancy is done intentionally. You don't have to use sex with contraception, with a backup plan of abortion, with a, a maybe monthly panic about whether the period came or it didn't come and, and uh, easy access to abortion, all of this evaporates. In fact, it looks like problems due to a, a limited theory of human development, like when Copernicus was around. The Copernicus, Copernicus saw a map of our solar system and <laughs> all these loopy, loopy loops because the Earth, of course, was in the center of the solar system. But he said, no, all these loopy loops are because the sun is in the center and then everything is like a round orbit. So right now, all our problems are loopy, loopy loops of a completely ludicrous and misleading and tragically misleading mismapping of human maturation. When you get full, the full puberty of the spine, the lovemaking that I'm hinting at a little bit, and the consequence of a type of intercourse that allows fertility to be supreme, then you go, oh my God, I can exhale. I don't have to be pro-life. I don't have to be pro-choice. I don't have to be looking at that at Supreme Court judge one way or the other, what if his stand on reproductive rights, all of that evaporates. Like when Copernicus said, let's put the sun in the middle and everything got back in order. <laughs> So uh, quick comments, Stuart, you mentioned 2050, and I'm going to make sure Dr. Dan 
has you around the 2050s, so you can see all this unfold. Um, we only I told, have. A, I told Stuart yesterday that he'll be around for at least 40 more years. Oh, nice, <laughs> perfect. I love it. Good, good, good. Um, so we only have a few more minutes left, and and what I'd like to do is invite you guys back. We just, I really only really started the conversation. Uh, if you guys are interested in doing so, but Victoria, I'd love for you to kind of take us home. <laughs> And, you know, Stuart talked about the chemistries of the body and, and, and the ethno and theogenic effects of the way we connect. And I'd love for you to kind of contextualize that with, with breastfeeding and the connection between the baby and the mother, because that seems to be lost, unfortunately, in our culture. And oh, then we'll come back another thank time. Thank you for okay. asking. When you ask me that question, I'm every part of me lights up because this act, this is just so important. And I'm so glad that you invite us back because I could sit here and listen to you, Stuart, for ages. And um, there's so many points that you mentioned, which are very related to what Michael's question just was, that I would love to, you know, exchange about. Um, in a lot of my work, it's um, helping, of course, people to prepare for this journey of pregnancy and the journey of labor and birth, which all of the above are ultimately preparing for a lifelong family relationship. And I think that there's a lot of really good efforts being made to help women remember that birth isn't actually designed to be a painful event and, and, and a lot of the efforts in that area are about educating about the hormonal blueprint of labor and these things. And I think it's amazing and I think it's still uh, we're minimalizing what it the potential and and Stuart mentioned potential in the beginning, we are potency. We can talk about potency, but we are potency. And I think that, you know, what where I find everything in my being at least wanting to go with these conversations about, you know, birth is birth and lovemaking are hormonally identical. The difference is that um, Stuart talks about Madhu, I guess, in science, we call this oxytocin. Am I right, Stuart? Sure. Okay, so uh, there's a these these hormones of love, of connection, of intimacy, of safety, of uh, non ordinary states, um, are produced at the highest possible levels that are available to any human being during a woman when she's giving birth. And so I think that when we understand that birth is actually designed by nature to be an ecstatic orgasmic experience it just takes us away from the conversation about preventing trauma we're not teaching these things to prevent trauma at least i'm not i'm teaching these things to welcome in the potential of the human being and the hormones are the emotions our emotions are our power and we are emotional relational beings and so when we get kind of stuck thinking about the hormones it can take us out of the actual experience of connection and so going back to let's say preconception and and the intimacy and the connection and the embodied love making the that those hormones or those emotions that consciousness if you will is what produces this alchemical uh hormonal elixir um and so the consciousness precedes the development and when babies when when souls from the time of it's the love that pulls us in it really is the love that pulls us in and so when when that connection and that intimacy remains part of the reality of the parents throughout the pregnancy 
even in the hard times, even in the pain, even in, hopefully there's hard times, hopefully there's pain during pregnancy. I mean, hopefully there's stress because we're welcoming humans into an obviously stressful world and they need to navigate. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't need actually to be a burdensome conversation. It can be really us coming into the power and the opportunity that we have it's through the connection that the mother is experiencing with her body that the baby feels connected and all of the hormones yes that are associated with um breast milk production you know we got really lost when it comes to breastfeeding because breastfeeding is so far beyond just feeding there's so much more happening the baby's learning everything that they will learn about life and relationships in these times so it's normal for babies to feed um 50, times a day and all night long and non-stop and i think when those needs get repressed or controlled or modified or any amount of intervening or disturbance happens on those normal primal sensual intimate sexual experiences and i know birth and sex in the same conversation is the most taboo one you can have but it is sexual birth is the most sexual experience that a human can have and so this is why i mean again we can talk for so long but this is why a lot of my work is really centered around um bringing people back to heal their own birth and pre-birth experiences because, because this is inevitably a sexual healing. And we need to heal all of this suppression around our sexual energy, our fertility, in order that these beings come in and flourish. Birth is entheogenic naturally and life is entheogenic. So that's where I would leave it. <laughs> I love that. On that note, that's a perfect way to end the beginning of our trialogue. Uh, Victoria Rose, thank you for joining us. Stuart Savosky, thank you. I'll make sure to include in the show notes links to your sites and all your work. And I'll circle back with you, obviously, offline to find a, a time for part two. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks again, Michael. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's nothing in between you and Nothing in between blue and sea Nothing in between us and love Nothing